hope you're all doing well. We are excited as we wrap up this series that we've been uh, looking through on understanding the biblical world and looking at many of the themes and images uh, that are utilized throughout Scripture uh, to help us understand the Bible better. And just as a recap, just kind of uh, looking over what we've uh, covered so far, uh, in part one, we looked at the Eastern uh, Western worldview and how uh, there are these two big basic worldviews, one being the Eastern worldview in which the Bible was written uh, and has uh, many things that are similar to our culture, but also many things that are very different from our culture. Some of those things are readily uh, seen, those things like uh, their wardrobes, their language, uh, things like that are very obvious to us. But then there are things underneath the surface, uh, values, uh, ways that they understand and interpret the world around them, uh, customs, things like that are not always as easily seen and interpreted. And then you have the Western worldview, which is uh, heavily influenced by uh, um, Rome and the Greek culture. Um, and uh, again, these things are not uh, not one better than the other, but they're just different. And in order to understand God's word, uh, we need to understand the culture that it was written to. Not, again, that that culture is better, more biblical, anything like that. It's just the culture that it was originally, the scriptures were originally given to. And so to understand the universal truths in God's word, that um, we need to understand uh what they originally said to that culture. And so uh, then in um, part two, we looked at the family structures. We saw how uh, in the family structures in the East uh, that, uh, yes, they had a mother, father, children, aunts, uncles, things like that. But the way they structured their family and the way that they emphasized and valued some of those structures are a little bit different uh, from the way we do in the West. We talked about uh, the uh, customs of the firstborn and honoring the firstborn and how it gets a double portion of the inheritance and also a double portion of the responsibility. And we saw how uh, it was a very much a patriarchal structure to where, um, yes, women were valued, but men were uh, the leaders in the home. Uh, their authority, their say, uh, trumped everyone else's. And so uh, that affected everything else in their culture. We also saw in part three uh, about honor and shame and how uh, they, the honor and shame culture influenced many of the interactions we see with Jesus and the Pharisees and how uh, honor uh, was uh, valued in certain ways, depending on uh, what the community thought was important. And then shame was also uh, not a negative thing, but a very valuable thing to uh, him in uh, uh, unbeneficial um behaviors within people. It kept people within the lines and within the cultural norms uh, and away from things that would harm the individual, the family, or uh, the nation as a whole. And then we also saw with patrons uh, last week how this idea that um, gifts were given with strings attached, and that was actually a good thing because it solidified relationships. And we could go on and on and on talking about all, all kinds of different uh, values and images and things like that, and um, because there are many of them, but we're not going to do that. We're going to hit on one more uh, this week. And then at the end of um, this video, this podcast here, um, I will include some uh, resources that you'll be able to dive deeper in if this is something that 
that really interests you. And I really encourage you to do that because uh, the more you dig into understanding the culture that the biblical world was written in, the more you are going to enjoy getting into God's word, you'll, more insights you'll gather from it. Um, it's just a really profitable thing uh, to do. And so I encourage each and every one of you, utilize uh, this study that we've gone through, utilize the resources that I'll include at the end of this uh particular uh, study, and uh, I hope it will be a blessing to you. But uh, tonight, this week, we're going to look at the idea of shepherds, the image of shepherds. And this is something that just, uh, it goes through uh, all of Scripture. It starts in Genesis and goes all the way into uh, Revelation. And it's an important image, and we see it first beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Technically, I guess you could say that it also began uh, with Abel, uh, since uh, Cain and Abel, since uh, Cain was a uh, gardener and Abel was a shepherd, but uh, really the, the heart of what it meant to be a shepherd and a lot of the important images that you see throughout Scripture really begin with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And again, that's because Abraham, when he left his um, his family to go to the promised land that God had called him to, he didn't get the promised land. He didn't. He got there, but it wasn't his yet. He hadn't yet received uh, that that promise, that blessing, yet that was uh, for later generations. And so for all of Abraham's life, he was uh, what the Bible called a sojourner, a traveler. He never really had one place that he lived. He was constantly going from place to place to place, living in tents. And because of this nomad type lifestyle, uh, he um, he just naturally gravitated to being a shepherd. And the same was true for his son, Isaac, uh, who he did not receive uh, the promised land. He was a sojourner. He was a traveler. He was a nomad going around shepherding and the same for Jacob. It wasn't until uh, Joseph, when Joseph was sold into slavery, uh, slavery, ended up in Egypt, and then eventually uh, through the, the providential hand of God brought the rest of his family there, that they stayed in one area for a while. Again, it was because of slavery. <clears throat> but even there in Egypt, as they were staying in one place, they lived in the, um, the land of Goshen, just right there on the outskirts of Egypt. And that was largely uh, in part because for generations from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had been shepherds, and Goshen was was a prime place for shepherds. That's because that land was very fertile. It was great for grazing and things like that. And because it would, uh, I believe every year it would flood from the Nile River. And so the Egyptians, they didn't want to live right there where this land is going to flood and they'd have to pick up and move uh, to more um, dry areas there around the Nile. Uh, But the Israelites, they didn't mind that so much because, again, they were used to moving around. And so when it would flood, they would move out a little bit. And then when the waters were shitty, they would come back again and have uh, wonderful grazing areas. And so uh, that's where uh, shepherds really began to uh, become prominent in the uh, Israelite and Jewish Hebrew um, culture. And we see this image of shepherd played out through through and through in a number of ways. One example is where um, uh, God himself is referred to as a shepherd of us. We see this in Jeremiah uh, 31.10. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. And again, God's the one who scattered Israel because of their rebellion, but he said, it says that he's also going to gather them and keep them as a shepherd. It's comparing God to 
to a shepherd. You see this time and time again. We'll get a little bit more into this in just a, a little bit towards the latter part of this study where we look at Psalm 23. But throughout Scripture, God is referred to as a shepherd and we are his sheep. And, and talking about we being a sheep, another prominent verse that compares people to sheep in God's pasture is Isaiah 53, 6, which says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so here in this very uh, um, popular um, passage in Isaiah, the suffering servant, it's talking about it compares us people, all of mankind, uh, to sheep who have wandered away. And we'll talk a little bit about why sheep wander and, and what that's all about. But again, it's this common theme of sheep and shepherds throughout Scripture because that was a very uh, prominent um, occupation uh, in ancient Israel. And then also uh, the kings, leaders, priests, those who were in authority over the people were also considered to be shepherds. And oftentimes they weren't very good shepherds. They often uh, failed in some very significant ways. And we see this in Ezekiel 34, 6, where it says, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. And this passage in Ezekiel, God is condemning the shepherds of Israel his people, his sheep, because his sheep had been scattered and no one was searching for him. No one was looking for him. No one was trying to rescue his sheep and bring them back uh, to where they belong. And so we just see this theme. I just wanted to share some of those verses with you to show that this is a theme that just goes through and through, especially in the Old Testament prophets, but all throughout both Old and New Testament, this idea of shepherding. We see with Peter after he denied Christ uh, three times when the resurrected Christ comes to him and wants to restore him again. He says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, of course I love you. And uh, Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And over and over again, he talks about feeding my sheep, tend for my sheep. Uh, it's this idea that, uh, that God is our shepherd, we are his sheep, or that, you know, as Christians, we are called at times to shepherd others. Uh, that's essentially what uh, a pastor is. Pastor, it just means to shepherd um, uh, the people of God. And so, it's just this common theme. So if we're going to understand this thing, if we're going to really mine all the, the wealth and riches from this biblical image, we need to know a little bit more about shepherds because I'm not a shepherd. I've never been a shepherd. I haven't really been around sheep very much. And I would uh, venture to guess that you probably haven't either. And so it may be a little strange for us trying to understand what it means to be a shepherd, to be a sheep, what all these metaphors are, um, but they were very common to the people the scripture was originally written to. So let's dive deep into some of what it means to be a shepherd and how this kind of unfolds some scripture for us. First of all, you've probably heard this before, but uh, sheep need a shepherd. Uh, sheep aren't completely dumb. Like uh, like I've heard a lot that sheep are very dumb and, and things like that. And, and I there are reasons why people uh, believe that, um, and we'll get into that in just a second. But sheep aren't aren't completely dumb and defenseless. They they can kick, they can bite, um, and and they do have some intelligence. They're very uh, community driven. Uh, they they cling to one another. They find security and safety uh, in one another, much like uh, um, we as people do. But they do need a shepherd. Uh, in fact, um, if sheep don't have a shepherd, uh, they are in many ways defenseless. They're not completely defenseless, but they're they're pretty defenseless. Um, 
In fact, uh, there was a, uh, a quote uh, that I found as I was researching sheep and shepherds, especially in biblical times, uh, and it was said this, uh, that left to themselves, sheep will not and cannot last very long. Just about any other domesticated animal can be returned to the wild and will stand a fighting chance of survival, but not sheep. Put a sheep in the wild and you just have given nature a snack. And that's really true in many ways. Um, you know, there are some who say that, that sheep are, are, do have some intelligence, and that is true. But for the most part, they, they need a shepherd. I was reading in a BBC News article uh, about some Turkish shepherds. And again, Turkey is, is close to where um, uh, the biblical world uh, was. In fact, Paul traveled through Turkey on quite a few occasions to plant some churches. Uh, and so there, were, uh, there was a BBC article uh, and of some uh, shepherds there in Turkey, and they watched in horror as they saw hundreds upon hundreds of their sheep following one another off a cliff. Um, first, one sheep went, up, went off a cliff, and then it was followed by another and another and another. And uh, in total, um, around 1,500 sheep went off the cliff because they were just following one another. As I said before, sheep are very communal. They uh, cling to one another. They follow one another. And if one sheep goes off the cliff, uh, it's very likely that another and another and another, unless the shepherd is there to stop them. Uh, more than in this article, it said that more than uh, 400 sheep ended up falling uh, to their death. The rest of them were cushioned by uh, the bodies of those who had gone before them. Uh, but in total, it was 1,500 sheep had gone off the cliff because they were just following one another. They need the guidance and the direction of their shepherd. We see in Matthew 9 verses 35 to 36 it says, then Jesus went about all uh, went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every de- disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And so just imagine that for a moment as Jesus is looking out at the crowd and all these people that he's he's preaching the gospel to them, he's healing their sicknesses, he's casting out demons, he's feeding them, and all these various things. And as he looks out at the masses of people, he says, the image comes to him that they are sheep without a shepherd, completely helpless, needing, longing for someone to guide the direction. And left to themselves, they're going to end up in disaster. And just imagine for a moment, as we look out at the world around us, as we see all the stuff splashed across the the newspapers and, and TV and stuff like that, Without a shepherd, without a leader, without first and foremost God being our shepherd and without us following him or without um, us having people that God has put into our life to guide us and direct us, we will just make a mess of our lives and we'll run headlong into disaster as we follow one another off the cliff. And so... um, God often refers to us as sheep because we desperately need a shelter. Uh, and I'll t- um, I- I'm sorry, we need a she- uh, shepherd. Uh, now, talking about the uh, net- the need for a shepherd, one of the things that a shepherd would do is as he was guiding and directing his sheep, uh, when it came nighttime, he would direct them into uh, a sheep pen. And basically, a lot of times it was just uh, some brambles that were arranged almost in a circle. If it was uh, more fancy, it would have uh, stones that were arranged in a circle. And it was completely enclosed except for one area. That would be the door that all of them were um 
were funneled into. And once they were in there in the safety of that enclosure, oftentimes there would be thorns all around the top to keep uh, animals from getting in or thieves from getting in. And then the shepherd would uh, sleep uh, alongside that opening where that door was. And so the sheep, if any sheep tried to get out, he uh, they'd have to step over the shepherd uh, and it would wake him up and he would know if anyone tried to get in, they'd have to uh, come through the shepherd. And so the shepherd uh, slept there at the opening of that gate um, to protect his sheep. And that <clears throat> gives us an image of what Jesus was talking about in John 10 verses 1 through 2 when it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter through the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, uh, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And oftentimes Jesus is refer referred to as the door that you have to come through him. And that is the image of him being the shepherd, him being uh, the one who uh, protects his sheep. He stands there at the door as a guardian uh, to keep the sheep in and safety uh, from wandering away and getting lost and from keeping uh, predators or thieves from coming in to take the sheep. Um, now, talking about this idea of uh, a shepherd staying there at the sheep pen to, to keep them in, uh, there's a story uh, about... Um, uh, that I heard from from one teacher who was saying that as he was watching um, these uh, young girls who were shepherding and and uh, according to him um, m most uh, shepherds in the Middle Eastern um, area, especially during biblical times, they would not have been the men. The men were out doing the, the brunt of the heavy labor, uh, whatever that might have been. The, the, oftentimes it was the young women uh, who were shepherding. That's why you see like Moses, uh, when he finds Zipporah, his wife, as he's leaving Egypt, it's a bunch of women shepherding. Uh, you see this a number of occasions in the Bible. Uh, but he said that he was watching these young women who these young girls who were shepherding and they did the whole sheep crowd. They put them in there, uh, slept at the door, all that sort of stuff. But it was a whole bunch of flocks all together sharing this one pen. He was wondering how in the world are they going to get the sheep out of there and sort them all out, who, what sheep belongs to which and whatnot. And as he was watching them, one of the girls uh, uh, went and she stood outside the gate and she called in Aramaic. She called to her sheep and only her sheep came out and followed her. It was like there were uh, on a line, just following her voice as she kept talking to him. She would walk and the, all of her sheep, the rest of the uh, sheep uh, who weren't hers, they didn't listen at all. They didn't stir, but it was only her sheep that came out. And it was interesting as he spoke to many of the shepherds in that region, the sheep learned the voice of their shepherd and they'll only follow uh, that shepherd's voice. Uh, and oftentimes, if they're not trained to listen to another voice, when that shepherd dies, um, uh, whole flocks can be lost because they won't listen to any other voice. And that's really interesting because as you continue reading in John 10, uh, Jesus uses that metaphor and he says this, to him, uh, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls to his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will uh, by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. And this is just an image that is uh, shown throughout scripture of sheep following the voice of their shepherd, because that's such a big uh, theme uh, in shepherding, but also in the people of God. You see time and time again, where in the world, 
people are led by an iron fist. Those, uh, those who have the power, uh, they force people to follow them. They force people uh, to do what they say. But a shepherd, he doesn't use his staff and his rod to beat the sheep in the, into submission. He doesn't grab the sheep by the scuff of the neck and pull them along, but he simply calls out to them. And the sheep will listen to his voice, they know his voice, and they will follow. The shepherd always leads in front and goes before them, and the sheep follow his voice. And it's really interesting, uh, we'll talk in just a second about sheep and goats. One of the big differences between sheep and goats is that sheep will follow the voice of uh, the shepherd, and they'll stay in a the line, they'll stay uh, close to him. But goats, they go all over the country field, and you have to really watch the goats because they want to do their own thing. They follow uh, their own uh, path, and they go all over the place, whereas sheep want to hear the shepherd and want to stay close to the shepherd. And that brings us to Matthew 25, verse 31 through 33, when Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in his glory and all the nations will gather before him. And he will separate them one from another as a sheep divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This idea of uh, difference between sheep and goats, there's a, a big difference between these two animals and how they interact with the shepherd. Goats, like I already said, do their own thing. They wander all over the place. They, they think they know what's best, whereas the sheep are constantly listen to, listening to the voice of the shepherd and trying to follow him. And, uh, and that's important, as we're going to see in just a second, as we get into Psalm 23. Um, we need to ask ourselves, am I listening to the voice of God? God's not going to force you to follow him. But if we're listening to his voice, we'll stay close to him. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I a sheep that's listening to the voice of God? Or am I a goat who's constantly trying to find my own way, find my own paths, find my own provisions? And that's a constant thing that you see uh, throughout Scripture. And then again, uh, we're, we're all familiar with the idea of uh, Jesus being like that shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after that one sheep who wanders away. Um, that uh, sheep don't often uh, um, wander like that. They like to stay together in a group, in a, in a close community. They like to stay close to the shepherd, but occasionally a sheep will go off and uh, and, and, and the shepherd, a good shepherd, will go and find um, uh, that one sheep and bring them back uh, into the fold. And so there's just a lot of pictures we could go on and on uh, with that. And I'll give you some resources in just a little bit if you want to uh, dig deep uh, deeper into this idea of shepherds. But let's turn our attention real quick in the time that we have left uh, and look at Psalm 23, because this is just chalk full of imagery from uh, the life of a shepherd and, uh, and his sheep. And I think it just gives us uh, lots of value uh, in our spiritual walk as we understand more of the sheep-shepherd uh, imagery and what it means for us in our walk with God. So we're going to take it uh, verse by verse, and we're going to break this down and, and kind of unpack some of these images. First, uh, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, pause here for a minute because this is going to be important. That idea of want does not mean that he gives me everything I want. I don't I don't have to uh, want for anything. Everything I ask for, God gives it. We all know that that's not the case. Now, there are some Christians who believe in a uh, name it and claim it gospel, a prosperity gospel, where if you just pray hard enough, if you have enough faith, uh, if you just ask it, if you just demand it, then God will give it. That's not what this means. In fact, the word that's used there for want in the original Hebrew doesn't mean that I have everything I want. It just means that you don't um, you don't lack. You have what you need, not everything you want. God provides for your 
needs. And that's going to be more important uh, in the next line. Notice what he says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Um, it says, he leads me beside the still waters. Now, pause there for a moment. Now, I've always um, uh, understood and grown up hearing uh, that this is God leads you into this lush green pasture with grass growing up all around you. You just kind of plop down. I envision uh, some of the rolling hills you, you may envision were a nice little stream there and all the sheep are scattered around and they're just, you know, can lay down. They can eat a little bit here, eat a little bit there, and they're just fully content. But here's the thing. Um, if you've ever looked at some of the landscape in ancient Israel, that's not what you see. Uh, when you look at the landscape, it's just rugged, it's dirt everywhere, it's rocks. Um, um, uh, Ray Vanderlyn uh, is a, a great um, uh, teacher who spent a lot of time in ancient Israel. In fact, that's one of the resources uh, I, I recommend to you. Go on YouTube and watch some of his videos and he'll talk about uh, some of these things where when he first saw some of these shepherds out in the land, he was like, what in the world are they eating? Are they eating rocks? Because there's no grass that I can see for miles and miles. What in the world are all these sheep eating? And what he learned is that um, the lush farmland that is in Israel is usually reserved for farmers because that's more important. They don't want um, animals eating up all the the, the, the best uh, farmland there. That's reserved for the farmers. And so a lot of the shepherds are kind of out in the wilderness. They're out in these rugged terrains. But the question still remains, what do the sheep eat? Well, the interesting thing is in the evening, uh, after the rocks have been out in that the heat of the sun all day, they're really hot. And then that cool wind blows in across those hot rocks and condensation will build on the rocks and drip down into the cracks between the rocks. And there you'll find these little tufts of grass. And that is what the sheep go around and they eat a little tuft of grass here and then they walk a little ways and they will find a little tuft of grass there and they'll eat and they'll eat just a mouthful here, a mouthful there. And it's not lush lush pastures. The interesting thing is that uh, the uh, the Bedouins and the shepherds in that region, they call these little tufts of grass that are growing between the rocks green pastures. That's their nickname for these little tufts of grass growing all over the place. And so the idea, as Ray Vanderlyn talks about, is that this idea that God doesn't plop you down where uh, in these green fields where you don't have any want, where uh, you're just taken care of and everything is just handed to you and Instead, it's trusting that the shepherd is going to guide you to the next step. And then after that, the next step. You don't, know, you don't know where the next provision is coming from tomorrow or in the next 15 minutes, but you trust that your shepherd, that God knows what you need for today, and he'll provide for that need. And then you trust that he'll provide for the next need and the next need. And that makes a lot more sense when you think about uh, we're not promised an easy life, but we are promised that the shepherd will walk with us and provide for each need that we may have. Uh, and also when it talks about he leads me beside the still waters, there's not a lot of water in that region. It, it's a lot of desert in that region. So what are these still waters? Um, most uh, scholars believe it's one of two things. It's either the Jordan River, which can be really dirty at times. It's not the prettiest of rivers. Um, and uh, sometimes it's very fast running. Sometimes there are some still spots. So that might be a part of it. But not all the flocks and sheep go to the Jordan River. That's not the only place they go. More often than not, uh, they'll find these little pools of water that are collecting on the ground, maybe in a rock or something like that. They don't have these big lakes, these big ponds that you would go to, these big watering holes. It's just a little water here, 
maybe a little water there, God will take you to uh, to the places to have your needs met for today. Um, and, and that's, I, I know for some people that may be a little discouraging. You want that green, lush field. You want the, the bubbling brook there and, and, and things like that. Uh, but in reality, uh, God provides for today's needs. Uh, he doesn't um, show you how he's going to provide for tomorrow or three weeks from now or three years from now, but you trust him each step of the way. And then it goes on in Psalm 23. He says, um, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, this paths of righteousness are these, uh, another way of uh, translating that are these straight paths. Um, and if you look in the, the hillsides of Israel, you'll see that uh, there are these straight lines uh, that have been worn into the rock. And what you see there is that is where uh, sheep for years and years and years have been walking these paths that the shepherds will lead them on. And it's these paths that they stay on because that is where uh, they'll find the tufts of grass. This is where they're more likely to find the water and things like that. And so it's these straight paths that he leads me on for his namesake. And then it goes on. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. A beautiful picture here is uh, I know, um, it can be a number of things that are, are being pointed to. One is uh, there are some valleys. There are these uh, what are called um, uh, wadis, these uh, little channels that uh, during the torrential downpours that they have every so often, they cut these little paths, these winding paths in the rocks. And uh, when you get down in there, it's hard to get out. And so uh, it can be very dangerous because if you're caught there, when the water comes through, you can be swept away. You can be killed. It happens uh, every year. A number of folks get killed by getting caught in these deep ravines when the water comes rushing through at the, um, the yearly rain and things like that. And so that could be a shadow of death. The shadow of these valleys uh, are a very dangerous place for shepherds and for sheep to be caught in. Uh, it can also talk about the dark times uh, at night. Uh, it's a very um, dangerous time for sheep's and sheep and shepherds to be out at night. There's all kinds of predators. The sheep are, uh, are more likely to get lost or something to happen to them. And so often what will happen is the sheep will gather around the shepherd. Usually he's out front leading them. But when it gets dark, uh, the shepherd will come into the middle of the flock and just continually talk nonstop talking so that the sheep, they can't see him, but they can hear the voice of the shepherd and they cluster around him and stay as close as they can. And the shepherd will guide them with his voice uh, through the dark. And so uh, this idea of um, that the shepherd walks with the sheep in the valley, the shadow of death, and that the comfort is that they will not fear any evil because the shepherd is with them. It's in those moments that God draws close to us and we can't see him, but we listen to his voice and huddle close to him and he'll guide us through uh, those dangerous periods. And then it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, this isn't, uh, those things aren't necessarily used on the sheep. Again, he guides and directs the sheep with his voice. These things are used against the enemy of the sheep. And that's why uh, they comfort uh, the sheep when they see the uh, shepherd, when they see the tools he has for their benefit. And I love this next little part. Uh, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. There's so much going on here. Uh, I'll just uh, quickly uh, touch on it. Um, I always thought when I came to this verse that it was that uh, I sit here and God has laid out a banquet table for me, uh, all, all the stuff to eat, and my enemies who have always persecuted me and fought against me, they have to sit there and watch me receive the blessings of God, and it kind of like rubs their nose in it. Uh, but as I've 
um, studied more about the uh, Middle Eastern culture, what I've come to find out is that you would never, ever, ever in the in the biblical culture ever eat with your enemies. You eat with your friends, not with your enemies. So the fact that his enemies are there uh, um, present while uh, this table is prepared uh, for them in the presence of his enemies, what this I, I believe is signifying is that his enemies have been reconciled uh, with the psalmist here, that his enemies are at the table, not so that they can sit and watch um, him eat, but so that they can partake, that the shepherd is reconciling, making my enemies friends. He is, he is bridging, he is healing these broken relationships. And I think that is why it says you've prepared a table uh, before me in the presence of my enemies is because they're no longer my enemies. Now they are my friends. It says you anoint my head with oil. Again, this is a healing thing because in that culture, especially with sheep, uh, there were flies that would always buzz around uh, the face of the sheep. And if you're not careful, I don't want to get too graphic, but if you're not careful, these flies can burrow down into the eyes, especially around uh, the eyes and ears of the sheep and, and cause all kinds of disease and, and uh, pestilence that can drive the sheep literally crazy to where they uh, try to get away from the buzzing and the, just the, the torment of these flies. And they can run off a cliff, they can bash their head into a rock, all kinds of things just trying to get rid of uh, these flies. And so a lot of times the shepherd will anoint um, oil over the head of the sheep and that oil will have a coating that goes over their eyes and ears to keep the um, the flies away and protect them uh, from disease. Again, this could also signify uh, the anointing, the blessing that we see throughout um, uh, the Old Testament. But I think there's something about healing going on here, uh, the protection of the sheep. And then it goes on and says, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, all these just through and through, just so much imagery. And we could go on for quite a, a long time looking at all this, but I hope that just gives you an idea of how when we begin to understand some of these images and some of these themes, they begin to just expound upon and open up a whole world of riches uh, uh, to uh, various passages that maybe we've read time and time again, but now because we understand a little bit more of the cultural context of what was going on there, uh, we understand it maybe a little bit better and new insights uh, come out to us. So I hope this whole series has been a blessing to you uh, and opened your eyes in some of those ways. Uh, if you if you really enjoyed some of the things that we've covered throughout the series, especially as it relates to shepherds, uh, here are some uh, a few resources that I think would be a lesson to you. Uh, if you like reading, if you uh, enjoy uh, getting into a good book, a book that would really um, help you with this is uh, one that's been a blessing to me called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. And this is a book that just goes into more depth on a lot of the themes that we talked about and other themes that we didn't have time to talk about. And it's by uh, E. Randolph Richards. And he just, he was a missionary to the East, to a lot of the Eastern countries. And in his time there, he has a lot of really funny stories um, about studying scripture with uh, some of the people uh, from that culture and how uh, their insights helped him to understand uh, the biblical world a little bit better. So that's Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes by E. Randolph Richards. He also has uh, Misreading Scripture with Individualist Eyes, which is another uh, more in-depth study on that. So both of those would be just a, a great book uh, to, to look into. If uh, you like videos, uh, as I've already said, uh, Ray Vanderlyn, all of his videos you can, uh, I think, find on YouTube. Some of them you uh, can purchase. Uh, but his series, That the World May Know, 
uh, he goes through and he shows you a lot of these regions. He shows you a lot of these places uh, and, and talks about a lot of the cultural insights that he gathered in his time there in the Middle East. A phenomenal, phenomenal resource. I encourage you to look into that. Again, that's Ray Vanderlyn uh, that the world may know. And if you're into podcasts, uh, I really recommend one that I've been enjoying and I've recommended to others is the BEMA podcast. Uh, and that is um, um uh, Marty Solomon, I think, is uh, the name of the teacher who goes through that. And he covers a lot of the things that we talked about. But he is uh, currently going through uh, all the books of the Bible. And then he goes into church history. And he's all going uh, into it from a Eastern uh, Hebrew Jewish perspective. And so that's a, just a phenomenal resource uh, that I would recommend as well. So I hope uh, you use those things, enjoy those things, let those be a blessing to you. I hope you have uh, got a greater hunger for God's word, getting into that. And uh, I hope uh, that God will rich, richly bless you as you go forward and study his scripture and live it out in your day-to-day -day life. With that being said, I hope you all take care and have a wonderful week. God bless.